Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the 2022 NFL Draft. And we're also going to welcome in Sands and Justin Lacey for their opinions on the Bengals draft as well. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. What an event the NFL Draft has become. In the old days, it was in a hotel room, and you didn't even know who your team picked until a couple days later, and no one really cared about it. And then there was a whole bunch of years where they moved it into Radio City Music Hall in New York, and you know they made an event of it, and then they kind of got complacent and kind of did the same thing every year, and then they opened it up to the other cities, and every city tries to outdo itself, and these drafts are just incredible. I mean, I think the draft draws more people than the World Series does in baseball, And it's just a must-see event. They bring out old players and Hall of Famers, and there's different people announcing every pick, and there's skits, and there's music, and there's graphics, and there's analysis. And it's just really a, a good time, and they've done such a great job with it. And the draft itself delivers. You know, you you watch your teams all re-up and get a bunch of new players. This year, there was a whole bunch of trades going on, I think more than ever in the first round. And then you see teams like the Jets, you know, go from 
really being a down team to getting four of those top 50 players and having a new outlook on things. It's just a really good time for the NFL. And look, there's not even a product on the field right now, and the NFL still owns the world because everyone wants to see who gets drafted. It's the most exciting sporting event that's not a sporting event. All right, let's move on to some current Bengal headlines. So the first headline is the Bengals picked up Jonah Williams' fifth-year option on his contract. So now they're going to be paying Jonah, I believe it's around $12.5 million next year. He's on board for the full five years of his rookie deal. And you have to figure that the team really likes him. You know, watching from a fan's point of view, Jonah's a little up and down. Let up 10 sacks and a whole bunch of pressures last year. Those are rough numbers for a left tackle. But for the Bengals to pick up his option, they're saying two things. One... He's going to be a reasonably priced option for next year. And two, we like what we see on film. Now, again, as fans, we watch the games, we rewatch the games, we make our analysis, we have our opinions on it. But, I mean, these guys watch every snap of practice, every rep in practice, every snap of every game. So they see a lot of things that we don't see. So something in there said, hey, we want to bring Jonah Williams back. I personally would have let him play this year without the fifth-year option and just see what you have and then... You know, you're going to pay bigger money if he has a great year, but if he has a great year, that bodes so well for your offensive line. So the Bengals did the opposite. They locked him up for a lower price tag, and now you have him for five years. And, you know, hopefully the arrow's pointing up. He had his first fully healthy season last year, which we forget about. You know, he had two seasons of not being healthy, and last year was his first full season, and he had some really good ups, and he had some mediocre times. And we're going to see what the future brings, but it's obvious that Mr. Tobin... And Coach Taylor and the staff really believes in him. So, you know, we're going to ride with Jonah. You're our left tackle. We revamped the whole offensive line, and we didn't revamp your position because we believe in you. So, Jonah, it's time. You're, you're a good player. It's time to be a great player. The first playoff game against the Raiders, he was amazing, and I thought that that was the new bar for Jonah Williams. And, you know, we'll see if he can play up to that level on a consistent basis. If he does, we have our left tackle of the future. If he doesn't, it might be a position that we have to think about in years to come. All right, the next big headline is Kevin Huber re-signed to a one-year deal, and I think they were waiting till after the draft. They probably had their eyes on one of the big-time punters in this draft, and the, the punters went early, and I think that's the Evan McPherson effect. Like, the Browns took a kicker in, like, the fourth round, and I think that was made possible by the success that Evan McPherson had and the fact that he contributed to so many wins for us that teams are saying, you know what, we're going to grab a special teamer and we're going to grab him earlier than other teams. So, you know, the Bengals kind of set that bar of, yeah, we'll, we'll get one in the fifth round. And now you have teams picking punters and kickers in the fourth round because they realize it can really change games if you get the right guy there. And that was proven by what McPherson did last year. So back to Huber, with that said, I guess any punter that we were looking at in the draft wasn't available. So we said, you know what, we're going to bring Huber back. He's still got a little bit left in the tank, and we're going to have him and Crispin compete. And as Bengal fans, we're going to watch that competition. Now, again, I, I said in the past that it's huge that Huber holds for McPherson and Harris. And, you know, you have that trio that was so successful last year. So I don't necessarily want to break that up. Maybe you go with Huber one more year. Hopefully we're a Super Bowl-bound team. He rides off into the sunset, a great cap to his career. Going to play the most games ever in a Bengal uniform by a player, which is a real big honor. So we'll see what happens. I would like to see Huber win the spot. I'd like to see them be able to keep Chrisman around and not lose him. And then come 2023, maybe there is a changing of the guard there. 
But in the meantime, we're going to watch a kicking competition in training camp and may the best man win because it's only going to help our team. In other personnel news, they signed a tight end, Nick Eubanks. This is going back a couple weeks. He was with Dallas for a little bit, a couple other teams. And, you know, they didn't get a a tight end in the draft. It just didn't fall to them. It didn't work out that way. So we're going to roll with Hurst and Sample. And then we're going to see what happens behind them with Moss, Wilcox, now Eubanks, um, Scotty Washington, you know, whoever else they decide to bring in. They'll probably bring in another undrafted free agent. So, you know, you're going to have kind of a logjam of unheralded players. But, you know, you, you have Hurst at the top there who can be productive. You have Sample who's familiar with the system and has been in the league for a while and maybe has a breakout year. And then you got a bunch of hungry young guys behind him. Maybe one or two of those guys works out. So, yes, the tight end carousel didn't go our way in the draft. And now we're going to just deal with what we have and get the best guys out there. And it's not that big of a deal. I think that if Hurst stays healthy and Sample stays healthy, we'll be okay. We can rotate some of the other guys in periodically. And then the NFL announced the schedule release is going to happen on May 12th. So I'll be doing a podcast episode a day or two after that. You know, we'll see who we're playing and where and when. It's going to be exciting. That's always such a fun time when that comes out. And for better or for worse, the Bengals are going to have a lot of primetime games. I myself, I just like those 1 o'clock Sunday games. I just wish there were 17 of those a year and nothing more, nothing less. I don't really like the 4 o'clock, so you get a little tired, you know, after watching the 1 o'clock games. It's just that 1 o'clock is a sweet spot. You know, the Monday night, it's good. Sunday night, Thursday night, yes, yes, yes. But, you know, when you play Thursday night and then Sunday comes, you're kind of lost. You guys know what I'm talking about. Even Sunday when the Bengals play at night. It's a whole day of watching football, and by the time nighttime comes, you're still jacked up for the game, but it's not the same as that 1 o'clock on a Sunday game. But either way, it's a badge of honor to get all those primetime games. I'm sure the Bengals are going to have at least three of them this year, and you know we'll see when the schedule comes out. And we all like to speculate when it comes out, this is a win, this is a loss, this is a win, this is a loss, which we are going to do because it is fun, but none of it means anything because you just don't know what teams are going to gel, what injuries are going to happen, who's going to be unexpectedly good, who's going to be unexpectedly bad, who gets hot, who's not hot, etc., etc. Either way, schedule release is coming, and we'll hit that on the next episode, and it'll be a good time regardless of whether the predictions mean anything or not. And voluntaries are underway as we speak, so you got to see footage of Joe Burrow lifting weights and Jamar Chase lifting weights, and I'm sure some of the rookies will come in. It's a chance for everybody just to get together, get unified, working out. And I'm sure the Bengals are going to have great attendance like they did last year. And I'm sure there's going to be some news coming out of the voluntaries, which we'll hit in the next episode as well. And then the last piece of news for now, the undrafted free agent list is going to be coming out any day. By the time this episode is released, it may be out. But my speculation is the Bengals are going to kind of take one of every position. That's kind of what we do every year. You know, maybe they load up on something like a tight end position or maybe defensive line, you know, some areas where they may think they need a little more help than others. But for the most part, you know, you're looking at about, you know, 10 guys and kind of one at each position group. And, you know, maybe you get lucky and and get a player or two that works out and becomes a contributor. I mean, maybe maybe we get really lucky and get like a Vontez Perfect that eventually becomes a starter. I mean, it happens. You know, you never know who's going to do what. You never know what your first round is going to do, and you never know what your eighth undrafted free agent is going to do. But it's a chance to add more players to the team, have players compete for positions, and, you know, you bring in players and you just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm excited to see that list, and that's something we'll probably address in the next episode as well once we get the names and the positions and get a little background on these guys.
All right, so with that said, let's go to the draft. First off, one thing that was said during the NFL Network broadcast, and I couldn't agree with it more, really, was the Patriots have drafted poorly over the years. And you think about it, you know, Belichick, great coach, great ownership. Tom Brady carried that ship for years. Really the most successful organization in the NFL, you know, with all the, the Brady success and the rings and whatnot. And they made a couple Super Bowls before Brady, so... You know, they've they've been doing it right for a long time. But when you hear that they've drafted poorly, you wonder, wow, how could they draft poorly? They're such a good team, and, you know, they have bad personnel guys. No, we see why they draft poorly, because the Bengals saw it firsthand this year. When you're picking 30th, 31st, 32nd every year, it's hard to draft well, and we saw it with the Bengals. You watch a lot of players go when you're picking 31st. You know, you have your list of players and your sweet spot and guys that should be falling to you, and you're just watching them all go off the board. And I'm by far not a fan of the Patriots, obviously. They've been the scourge of the AFC for a long time. You don't want to see another AFC team be that successful. But the truth comes out, yes, that they have drafted poorly because they draft so low every year. If you draft in the 30s year after year, your talent pool is not going to be as good as some of those teams that draft high. And, and, and the Browns are a case of that. You know, the Browns still aren't where they want to be yet. They're a dangerous team, but they compiled a lot of talent over the last few years by picking so high in the draft. So when people say the Patriots have drafted poorly, as a Bengal fan in 2022, I understand because it was tough. When you're picking at the end of round one, it's basically like you have a second round pick. You know, you, you got your you get your third round pick at whatever, 90-something, it really feels like it's a fourth-round pick. So it's it's totally understandable why teams that do so well might not have as good of a draft record as some of the other teams because you're picking so low. And what I liked about the Bengals this year is they traded up twice. So by, when you trade up and grab the player that you want, you are truly taking the best available player in your in your opinion. So in in this case, the Bengals traded up from 63 to 60, and they gave up a sixth rounder. And you know my philosophy. I don't know, Mr. Tobin, if you you probably have listened to the show, and if I've given you any inspiration or ideas, you know I'm I'm all here. Whatever you need from me, I'm going to keep throwing out my opinions no matter what. But maybe Mr. Tobin was listening when I said you get those top 50s maybe top 60, and then after that, it's really just a crapshoot. And here we were. We traded up to number 60. So thank you, Mr. Tobin. You, you you got busy, and you got a player that you wanted in the second round. Whether you hopped up a couple spots, you give, around, you give away the sixth-round pick. Who knows if that's ever going to work out? History says it's not. So now you move up in the second round and get the player that you want. I loved it. And then we did that again in the fifth round. So when you get that in the fifth round, you know you're really getting the best player available. When you go up, I don't. I think they went up like seven or eight spots there as well. So I like the aggressiveness. If you ask Frank from the unofficial Bengals podcast opinion, do you trade up to get a better player or do you trade down to get more players? I, I can't stress enough just trade up and get the best possible players. And the Bengals did that this year. So thank you, Mr. Tobin. Whether you're listening or not, we're on the same page. Keep that mindset up, and you will have the best players. When you're saying quality over quantity, you're going to be a better team. And that's the whole philosophy of getting the better players, the top 50, top 60, and not just getting bringing in 12 draft picks when maybe three of them are going to really stick and be contributors long term. 
All right, philosophically, what did we do? I thought that we did best player available. And what we did this year, too, and and going back, best player available is the way to go unless you have a really glaring need that is hurting your team badly. And, And in our case, it was offensive line, but we addressed that in free agency for the most part. So we had a little more freedom to do what we wanted in the draft. And what they did this year, and they did this in 2020, and they did it in 2021, they drafted three players at one position. And that's the way you fix a position group. You know, in 2020, it was the linebackers. And we went from an old, decimated, empty linebacker room to having a bunch of young players that are going to be here for the long run. And then in 2021, we did it at two spots. We did it at offensive line, where we drafted three. And we did it at defensive line, where I, I, if you count the edge rushers, we picked up four players. So the Bengals have been subscribing to this philosophy lately of, hey, we have a deficiency at this position group. We're going to hit it with a few players. And that's what they did this year. You know, whether you want to call the, the first two picks corners or safeties, we'll go over that in a little bit. And I just think overall that the Bengals are kind of thinking ahead. When you get these defensive backs, and if you look at the three guys that we have, they're all kind of hybrids. They're Whether they play safety primarily or slot corner or outside, they all seem to be able to do a bunch of things. And I think there's there's three things that I want to mention as far as drafting hybrids. Now, before I get into that, it's, it's a matter of looking at where the NFL is going and trying to get ahead of the curve. And I think that's what the Bengals did here. And the fact that our roster is so deep, we don't need a lot of players. Most position groups are pretty set. We have the flexibility to say, you know, we think the NFL's trending this way, so we're going to draft players that fit into this mold. And and when you think about drafting those hybrid DBs, you know, the Bengals do a lot of three safety looks, and by having these extra defensive backs, that's going to make those three safety looks even stronger. And if you notice, the safety roles are, are kind of changing. You need guys, you need a strong safety and a free safety to be almost interchangeable, and both of them can now cover, not just a big thumper safety that sits down in the box. You know, those, those sa- that, that job description is kind of becoming obsolete, and you're looking for a bunch of fast, strong, aggressive guys, and that's what we have here. And then when you think of last year, there was a stat that said 70 or more percent of the defensive snaps, we had five or more defensive backs in there. So three-quarters of the time, you're playing with five-plus DBs. So what do you want to do? You want to get as many good defensive backs in that room as possible. So I like what we did here by getting these players. We drafted hybrids to go with the three-safety look, to kind of supplant that box safety mentality and because over 70% of your snaps are going to be in nickel and dime and have a bunch of DBs. So very well done, and I think we're thinking progressively here. And if you're going to do it, this was the draft to do it. Now you can start forecasting where the NFL's going and how to attack it. And I really like what we did here, especially picking 31st. You know, your options are a little more limited, and we got creative, and I think it's going to pay off for us. All right, so let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals selections in the 2022 draft. Round one, Daxton Hill, safety, Michigan. So in Daxton Hill, the Bengals get their first safety in the first round since 1992, Darrell Williams. And for those of you that have listened to the show before, Darrell Williams was one of my favorite Bengals of all time. He was a big hitter. He had range. He was a ball hawk, had a lot of speed, a silent leader of that defense. So, you know, props to Darrell Williams. I've been looking for you. I don't think you're on social media, but I really would love to get you on an episode 
So if anyone can get word out to Darrell Williams, ex-safety of the Bengals, I'm all for it. But back to the present, Daxton Hill, he's a free safety, six foot, 191, good hitter, plays slot corner, plays free safety, can blitz, runs a 4-3-8-40, so at 33 games played in his college career. So this is a guy that the Bengals thought was a, was one of the best players available, and I, you almost feel a little Derwin James-ish with him. He's going to be productive, he's going to make things happen, and you're going to see Daxton Hill get on the field a lot this year, and then moving forward he, he could become a starter, and again, he's a hybrid. You could put him, you could have him cover tight ends, you could have him cover the guys in the slot, you can have him sit back in a, in a deep single high safety look. So there's a lot that you can do with this player. I'm sure the Bengals are really excited to get a player with these measurables and this college pedigree and the success that he had. And you get him at 31, and he probably can be a difference maker in this defense. Now the big thing, I guess, is the impact on Jesse Bates and even Von Bell. You know, those guys are seeing, whoa, you know, did you just draft my replacement? And sometimes that's rough for the room. I'm hoping that Jesse Bates continues with being that leader and that team first guy that he's always been and, and takes Hill under his wing and really tries to help him be a, a contributor to the team. And, you know, Von Bell might be thinking the same thing. You know, they drafted a couple safeties this year. What does that mean for me? I'm on a one-year deal. But you know what? There's nothing like the present, right? Jesse Bates, Von Bell, play as hard as you can help everyone on the roster as much as you can, you're probably going to go to another Super Bowl if you, if you do that and everything goes like it did last year and the team has gotten better than it was last year. So let's not think about the future. I I feel it means the end of Jesse Bates in a Bengal uniform, but you just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm hoping that Bell and Bates can just say, hey, we're here for another year. We're getting paid very well. We're playing with Joe Burrow, and we have a very good chance of going to the Super Bowl. So who cares who the Bengals drafted? So that's that's how I'm hoping that these guys look at it. Human nature, it doesn't always go that way. You know, you start looking over your shoulder and maybe getting a little resentful. I mean, in Bates' case, hey, you didn't give me an extension and you drafted a safety in the first round. What does that mean for me? I get all that. And there's really nothing that we can do about that except throw them all on the field and hope that everybody gels and gets along and, you know, let, let the future be what the future is. But it really what is the important thing is the 2022 schedule and winning as many games as you can, and that's going to happen if we're cohesive. So Von Bell, Jesse Bates, just keep doing what you're doing. You know whether it's here or elsewhere you're going to be rewarded, and I really do hope that it is here. Round 2, Cameron Taylor-Britt, cornerback, Nebraska. All right, Cameron Taylor-Britt was the other defensive back that we drafted high in this draft. We moved up a couple slots to get him. He's a corner that plays safety as opposed to Hill, who's a safety that also plays corner. So you have two guys that can move around a whole bunch. Uh, Cameron Taylor-Britt is a little bit shorter but a little bit heavier than Hill, so he's a little bit bigger of a hitter. He was a captain, a three-year starter over in Nebraska, and he runs a 4-3-8. And here's a guy that you can put on the outside at corner, you can put on the inside at corner, and you can also drop back as a single high safety. So it's it's going to be very exciting to see how they use Hill and Taylor Britt in addition to all the other defensive backs that they have. This could be a really exciting position group with a lot of youth and a lot of speed and it just, it just bodes well, and you know they really stocked up at this position. And now safety isn't going to have to be something that you address for a while. Round three. Zachary Carter, defensive tackle, Florida. 
All right, so Zachary Carter is a defensive tackle, but he can also go outside as well. So you have position versatility with him inside, outside. At 6'4", 282, he may be a little undersized to be playing defensive tackle regularly, but according to him, he likes to use his speed to get around guards, so maybe that's going to be an extra advantage. We'll have a nice pass-rushing defensive tackle who can kick out to end as needed. And this probably means that Ogunjobi's not coming back. When you draft a defensive tackle this high who kind of plays the same position, it looks like we're going to roll the dice with the younger guy right now, the younger, less expensive guy. So we'll see what happens with Carter. And again, you never can have enough defensive tackles. So you never know if is going to be coming back in August, September, October, you know, depending on need. But hopefully Carter stays healthy, hops into that rotation. He had 17 SEC sacks. That's a lot of sacks in a very tough division. So the production's there. He's got the mindset. He can play a couple different positions. So we're going to see what happens with Zachary Carter. But welcome to the Cincinnati Bengals. Round four, Cordell Volson, guard, North Dakota State. All right, Cordell Volson was a guy who played right tackle primarily over the last season or two. He's also spent time at left tackle, and he's also played guard at 6'6", 315. He's got pretty good size. He started 41 straight games, so that means that he's durable and has played a bunch of positions. So again, you see the Bengals, all four of these top four picks, they have position versatility. You know, a safety who plays corner, a corner who plays safety, a defensive tackle who plays defensive end, a tackle who plays guard, etc., etc. So it looks like Volson's going to be in the mix to compete for that left guard position and also in the mix to be that backup swing tackle. He's going to compete with Deontay Smith and Isaiah Prince. So, you know, it might not be the case of a starter going down and now Prince is back in the same offensive line as last year. You have some options here, and hopefully Volston can be the best out of all of them and and win the starting left guard or win the starting swing tackle. So that's where you're going to see his biggest contribution this year. Round 5, Tyson Anderson, safety, Toledo. All right, Tyson Anderson, the fastest out of all of them. You get the two top defensive backs that run 4-3-8s in Hill and Britt, and you have Anderson who runs a 4-3-6. The Bengals moved up eight spots to get him, so you know they really saw a lot that they can do with him, and he's got a lot of special teams experience. And he could be that extra nickel-dime, extra defensive back in four or five receiver alignments as well. What you have here is another fast, strong defensive back who can get out there and run to the ball and make your defense fast and fresh legs. So I like what they did here too. You know, three safeties or three defensive backs, all really fast. This guy, probably more special teams, but maybe the goal is all three of these guys are going to be on the field in in dime packages. And then, you know, you're watching like a, a track team cover the other wide receiver core. And overall, what this means for the safeties on the roster, I'm not sure what's going to go on with Brandon Wilson. I'm hoping, you know, it's tough to come back from an ACL as as a safety and a returner. You know, it's not the same as some of the other positions. So I'm hoping that he comes back. I'm hoping that they still have a place for him on the team because we really still do need a kick returner. You know, Trent Taylor is more of a punt returner, and a healthy Brandon Wilson is very dangerous back there. So he could be the most affected by the bringing up bringing these three guys onto the roster. And then you look at someone like Tavon Henderson, it just doesn't look like he's ever going to have a home aside from the practice squad. So, you know, I mean, he's put in his time over the years, been productive when he's been in there, but it looks like, you know, they're going younger and faster 
and these three DBs are going to give some of the veterans a tough time. So I don't know what that room is going to look like. And even Mike Thomas they brought back. So is it going to be Bates, Bell, and the new guys? Or is it going to be Bates, Bell, Wilson, and the new guys? I mean, there's a lot of ways we can go there. But you are going to see the veterans impacted when you bring in two to three safeties. Some of the names that we're familiar with in the past are, are probably going to have to go. Round 7, Jeffrey Gunter. Defensive end, Coastal Carolina. All right, Jeffrey Gunter, he's an edge rusher, 6'4", 260. You know, built pretty solidly. He was productive in his 12 starts, had a bunch of sacks. And, you know, we'll see where he fits in. I guess in the seventh round, you can just kind of go for anything. Best player available, see what happens. But this goes back to what I said, too, about how when you have these late-round draft picks and then you draft another player at their same position, you're kind of going around in circles and not giving the other guys time to develop. Like someone like Wyatt Huber from drafted last year in the seventh round. You know, they're probably going to be looking for Gunter to push him off the roster already, and, and that's the vicious cycle that you get into when you have so many late draft picks and a lot of draft picks. You don't give time, guys time on the roster to develop. So we'll see what happens with Gunter. You know, being a seventh round pick, you're not guaranteed to make the roster I'm hoping that he can show that same productivity that he had in college at the NFL level. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And the Bengals went for some small school guys in the later rounds. So, you know, the top three picks, Michigan, Nebraska, Florida, big-time programs. The last three picks, then you go to North Dakota State, Toledo, Coastal Carolina, you know, not the same kind of programs as, as the bigger schools. So I'm hoping that the school doesn't matter, that the player matters, but a lot of times, you know, it's the competition that you face that gets you ready for the NFL. So normally the Bengals go a little bit heavier on the big schools, and this year they kind of went a mix of both. So we'll see how it pans out. I myself trust the guys from the bigger programs a little bit more, but you never know. A player's a player. The Bengals liked all six of these guys. And, hey, look, we have six new Bengals that we were all excited about getting. The team saw something in them to draft them over other players. So exciting times. Six new players coming to the roster, and then another 10, 12 coming in undrafted free agency. So the roster's going to get full. We're going to have those positional battles, and the best players are going to make the final 53. And the final 53 this year, hopefully they all walk away with a ring. X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Frank? All right, my friend. It was fun watching the draft. What are your thoughts on everything? Yeah, I think it went all right. Um, I, I don't think that they were the clear like best team in the didn't do the best job in the draft, but at least compared to like what people thought consensus wise. And then, uh, but on the other end, they didn't really make any mind blowing like bad picks that you really groaned about either so that was all right uh it looks like they got a few stars out of it and hopefully you get more yeah, what are you thinking about them taking three guys in the secondary interesting although i would say that the last guy they took tyson anderson i believe probably gonna end up being a bit more special teams than actually playing if you think about the Bengals picks he was fourth round pick and essentially a fifth rounder so if you look back at the fifth round guys 
usually a bit more special teams and then has a chance in practice to like wow the team and have them play him but i mean it's gonna be hard for him to even like really get on the field much because dax hill plays safety so uh maybe you could play something else but i, I don't know I, I thought it was interesting but yeah i mean probably more special teams for the second safety they took and speaking of dax hill what are you thinking about the tape that you've seen on him so far yeah he's one of the guys i've watched so he's He's an intriguing. I think people are overstating how versatile he is, but he is versatile. I don't know if he can play outside corner, but he can play just about every other defensive back spots in the box, deep, inside, in the slot. He did all that in Michigan. Uh, he's smooth. He's very athletic. He's a willing tackler. Comes flying off, flying downfield to make those tackles. Can do a good job in man coverage when he's in the slot. Um, very good ball skills, and he's an impressive blitzer. So, I mean, all that. When you consider it, I mean that's that's really nice. Uh, concerns, I, I don't. He's smaller. That that's why I do a little bit of concern about him playing in the box too much. Is he is smaller, and tight ends seem to be able to get their hands on him. Or offensive linemen, he doesn't really break those blocks, shed them at all. And that size comes up again when he's covering tight ends a little bit because he's not super long, so he can get boxed out. And he's a little bit too jittery and aggressive whenever he gets hit with a jab or a double move. So some of that can be cleaned up. Some of it is just, uh, I don't know. He's not super big. Can he put on some weight? Uh, But overall, I really like the pick. And what about moving on to the offensive lineman they drafted? What are you feeling about what you've seen so far? It's interesting because I can't think of a more different offense from the Bengals than North Dakota State because uh, they are – very run heavy they do a lot of power counter things the Bengals don't really do you're not going to get many true pass sets you're not going to get very many pass sets at all or even including like play action they're they're just if you think of like those late 2000s alabama teams that's essentially what north dakota state is both what they do and then also how good they are in the fcs so it's intriguing to me um i wonder what they saw he wasn't a guy I watched or even knew about, but I don't know. It's intriguing. I was really into um, Sawyer from Georgia. I thought he would have been a good pick. And, I mean, at that point, I also liked uh, Falele since they were trying to take him in the first or second round. So to be taken over those two guys, including some other guys that people like, like Zach Tom, it'll be scrutinized a little bit just because there were guys that other people liked. But overall... It's intriguing. He looks mean. He looks like a good run blocker. But, I mean, for the Bengals, really almost all comes down to what he can do pass blocking. Sands, what grade do you give the Bengals on the draft as a whole? Overall, it's probably about a B. Like I said, it, it was pretty good, but it wasn't, like, immaculate. Really, you can't grade it until, like, three years from now, and then you see how good everybody is. But for where I felt about players going in and, coming out of it with all these guys they didn't come away with a tight end that could end up being something special so you're still going to see true sample a lot this year they didn't get a fourth wide receiver which is interesting because you're one injury away from mike thomas or stanley morgan playing some serious snaps but overall probably about a b because i did think they took some good guys sans how do people find you on social media you can find me at bangles underscore sans on twitter unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? 
I'm doing fabulous. It's you know we had a beautiful draft weekend and ready to go dive deep and then do some evaluations on the players that we got. Yeah, it was a long and interesting draft weekend. Excellent for us NFL fans. What are your thoughts on the Bengals' 2022 draft? You know, it was a tough adjustment as Bengals fans because we're so used to picking in the top ten. And you know, in years past, we've had a few you know chances of picking in a in the low end of the 20s, but we never picked that pick 31 before, at least not in my lifetime. And it was a tough adjustment to kind of see the players, like more premier talents, go high in the draft, be wishing that you would be in position to go and grab them. But you know what? I think overall the Bengals did a wonderful job on the draft. I think that they did a great job of adjusting to the flow, the ebbs and flow of things. They got players that have a lot of versatility. They didn't just go with the conventional wisdom approach again. Everybody was saying that they needed corners. Well, they took DBs, but they did it in their way. Daxton Hill is a very versatile safety that has many, uh, that has a wide variety of skill sets that he can do so much. And I really believe that the Bengals kind of nailed it, nailed it out of the park with several of those draft picks. Yeah, overall, what are you thinking about Dax Hill and our second-round pick? So Dax Hill and Cam Taylor-Britt, I think that those can be the next two nucleus of players on our defensive side of the ball for their future generations. But these two guys, it, something just feels different here. It, last year, when we, the reason why I personally was on a Jamar Chase train was because his skill set is so perfect for what the Bengals already have with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd that we're not really forcing him to be your number one receiver. He naturally became that on his own because he has a skill set that can sort of help elevate the receiving room and then allow Joe Burrow to then elevate them. Daxton Hill and Cam Taylor Britt, the second round corner, they have those skill sets where they will blend right in with the talent that we already have in the secondary and they can elevate and evolve this play of the secondary, which will then in turn to having a pass rush led by Trey Henderson, of course, to be able to evolve and help elevate them. So it was honestly a perfect pick out of the park for both rounds, for a first and second round pick. All right, well, moving on to that room, as far as the defensive backs go, what do you think the mindset of Jesse Bates and Von Bell is now that we drafted a couple of younger guys that play their same positions? I know it's popular opinion right now to believe that it's the writing on the wall for Jesse Bates. I hope that that's not the case, but if it is, you know, Jesse Bates has been one hell of a player. I'm not ready to say goodbye to him yet, and I hope Jesse Bates is not ready to say goodbye to Cincinnati yet as well, too. He hasn't requested the report to be traded, so I'm not going to force the end that he's going to leave the Bengals here soon. Nor am I going to look at it and say that it's his last year, too. I want to see him here, but I understand he got to make the decision that's best for himself. But I also hope that he can really see what this Bengals team is deep is for what we're showing it out to be. In terms of Von Bell, I'm not really necessarily worried that he's going to leave. Yeah, when he's in the last year of his contract, but something just tells me that he's going to sign team-friendly extensions because he's such a great leader. He's a great face in the locker room. You know, for the organization, they call upon him to do a lot of different things off the field as well as on the field, too. So I really think that this can be a positive reinforcement. And we're not getting guys coming into the league that is showboaty and cocky and think that they deserve everything just because they got drafted in the NFL. If you're in Daxton Hill's transcript, he says that he's happy when his teammates are doing great things, too. And he's, he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that his team and his teammates be successful as well as himself. Love the analysis on that. Let's move on to some of our divisional rivals and AFC rivals. 
What are your thoughts on what Baltimore and the Chiefs did in this draft? Well, Baltimore was frustrating me because they, it seems like that they kept picking players out of spite for the Bengals. You know, I remember we all went down the list about players of who we wanted to see at 31. Tyler Lindenbaum was the ace in the hole. I personally put my flag on Tyler Lindenbaum as he was going to be the perfect ace in the hole to, to generate a lot of value. I've even posted that on Twitter as well, too, that he's going to succeed here with the Bengals so much more because he's going to complete the offensive line rebuild. And to see him go to Baltimore a few picks right before we even pick, it was very frustrating to watch. I'm not going to lie. And then in the second round, they ended up taking David Ojabo, another guy that a lot of Bengals fans really wanted in the second round. Um, or even even at pick 31, if you ask some people. But it was, again, very frustrating to watch Baltimore just take guys just to probably spite Bengals fans. In terms of the Chiefs, that was very interesting because I watched them very closely, too. They went DB with their first first-round pick, and they traded up to get Trent McDuffie. And I thought that was very telling because, yeah, while they're very thin at corner, it seems like that they wanted to do whatever they possibly can to shut down some of the premier quarterback and receiving weapons that they're going to see when it comes playoff time. And then they also got George Karloftis, another guy that Bengals fans wanted so much. I, I really think that those were teams that saw exactly what they needed to do to get over the hump in the AFC and the AFC North. And they wanted to go defense. They wanted to make sure that they do whatever they can to make sure that the Bengals don't have a chance to repeat as AFC champions. But that's the beautiful thing about the NFL. Sometimes you're going to be the hunted. But a lot of times people are still going to miss the mark that we're hunting too still. I agree. It's nice to be like a tone setter for the league where people want to worry about what to do to stop you. All right, last question. Moving on to our old-time rivals, probably our most hated rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They drafted two players that I wanted to get your opinion on. Well, Pickett is a hometown, homegrown kid for them. You know, it was a great pick for them. If they were going to go quarterback, I don't see them going anywhere else but Kenny Pickett. Again, I understand that people thought that Desmond Ritter could have been an option there, but it just felt like they would have been doing themselves a disservice if they didn't go with Kenny Pickett. I'm also personally not worried about Kenny Pickett uh, per se. Do I think that the kid has some talent? Yes, I do. I'm not going to knock him at all. But it just feels like the Pittsburgh Steelers fans and the Steelers are really kind of trending towards the Andy Dalton diet. You know, that we've been, after the days of Carson Palmer, we moved over and got Andy. When we got Andy, it was in the second round pick, and that was a great value for us. And it seems like it's going to be the great value for the Steelers as well, too, because they're not forcing Kenny Pickett to be a starter. He's going to be in the same quarterback room and rotation with Mitch Trubisky, who they signed on a two-year deal, and Mason Rudolph, who's still on the team. So that bringing in Kenny Pickett is really a pretty good draft pick for them that they can probably get the maximum value for. Now, in terms of the second-round pick, you know, I was kind of frustrated with them picking George Pickens because, you know, the legend of legend of you know Bengal Nation, Carl Pickens, his son just had to go to a division rival. You know, I don't I don't really feel good about that as a Bengals fan. I think he's going to take more of the Juju Smith Schuster pathway. He's going to be a solid number two. Uh, maybe he might have the chance to be a number one there if he plays well enough. I'm still taking the Bengals receiving trio over anybody in our division. Justin, how do people find you on social media? Uh, people can find me on social media on Twitter. Uh, Juddy underscore 13, J-U-T-T-Y-1-3. You can also search Justin Lacey as well. 
That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to do the schedule release for the Cincinnati Bengals for 2022. And Tom McLevy's going to swing by with his thoughts on the draft and a whole bunch of other Bengal-related things. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.